It's been a good week, eh? Yeah. Hey, it's good. Elections last night. Yeah. Cool. All right, let's move on. <laughs> All right, hey. Um, the last couple of weeks, we, we looked at uh, just a really short series on, on what is the Bible, how to read the Bible, and now we're going to do a, a short series just going through a book of the Bible. So we're going to do a journey through the book of James. Has anyone read James before? Yeah. Who, who knows that? It, you get to the end of it, and you're like, thank goodness that was only five chapters, eh? Because it's like, it's really intense. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to do a five-week journey on the book of James, and uh, so I encourage you with us after, you know, talking about how do we read the Bible and, and all of that, um, I encourage you over the next five weeks to read through the five chapters of James every week, if you can. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not long, um, and, and it's a good read. Um, also, if you're like a, a, super, um, a super Bible nerd, or you just want to go a little bit deeper, read um, the Sermon on the Mount alongside of the book of James because you'll discover that James is reflecting on the teachings of Jesus all the way through um, the book. And so he's, he's uh, actually pulling out lots of references and quotes from the Sermon on the Mount. So we're calling this series, um, well, we, we did a series on the Sermon on the Mount last year. Was it last year? I don't even remember. Um, we did, a, we did a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount at some point, uh, and we called it the greatest sermon ever, uh, because that, that message from Jesus, which was his kingdom manifesto, it was the ethics of the kingdom, uh, the politics of the, of the kingdom, so to speak, um, that, uh, that is the greatest sermon ever, and so we did a series on that, but now we're calling this the greatest sermon ever, the James Remix. All right, so we're going to look at it through the eyes of James, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Are you ready? Cool. I feel like I had some notices, did I? Awaken You. All right. Um, yeah, okay, before we get into it. So Awaken You starts this Thursday. Lots of people have been asking about it. Um, I did a message a couple of weeks ago on the critical journey, um, and, and we had so much feedback about it that we've decided to pack it into a whole term of Awaken You, unpacking what the critical journey is, how do we push through that wall and come into a place where we have, um, you know, where, where we actually really are laying down our wills and ways to actually, um, to actually connect with the wills and ways of God. And, um, and it, it is really, really powerful. I, I believe that um, every Christian should uh, dive into this um, uh, uh, understanding uh, because we actually all go through it. Uh, I think what happened when I shared that message a couple of Sundays back, so many people came up to me and said, oh my goodness, you've just described the journey I'm on or the journey I have been on. And what it does, it puts a whole lot of language around uh, what it means to follow Jesus and how do we actually push through some of the trials that we go through and how do we actually fully surrender our lives to Jesus? Because who knows, it's easy to say it, it's a whole other thing to do it. And so how do we let go of the old man? How do we let go of the flesh and, and step into the new creation that we've been? That's what it's all about come along um, Thursday nights, um, you can just put it on your Connect card, I, you know, I want to go to the critical journey, we'll connect with you and make sure you know the details. All right, um, so James, so, so James, uh, or, or other, otherwise known as Jacob, um, James wrote a short book in, in the New Testament, it's five chapters long, um, now uh, it's pretty uh, common understanding that James is actually one of the half-brothers of Jesus. So this is someone who knew Jesus not only as uh, saviour, but also as brother, um, and grew up with Jesus. That would have been really interesting, eh? 
Like, have you ever wondered what Jesus was like as a kid? It's kind of weird to think about God going through all of the motions of childhood, eh? And that he went, he went through that level of vulnerability to take on humanity to redeem it. Isn't it great? Anyway, so James, um, so James was the, the brother of Jesus. Now, now, how do we know that is that um, Paul in Galatians talks about that. He mentions that James is the brother of Jesus. And then Josephus, um, a Jewish historian, also talks about James, the brother of the Christ who was crucified. And so we know that this is who James uh, is. And so James was martyred for his faith in about AD 62. And he wrote the book of James not long before that. So in AD 62, he was, um, he was um, killed for his faith. Um, and you can read about that in the book of Acts. Um, now, there's a little bit of controversy about the book of James because it's, um, uh, yeah, so uh, Martin Luther, one of the reformers, he actually didn't particularly like the book of James. Um, he kind of struggled with connecting it to, uh, to Paul's message of justification by faith. Uh, because James seems to talk, it seems that he is giving a, a different perspective on what faith is. Um, and now what I want us to do this morning is, is maybe remove our presuppositions about, um, about what it means to be saved. Um, because James is not trying to tell us that. Right, James is writing to believers who are following Jesus. He's not trying to say this is how to get to heaven when you die. And so if we read that over top of it, we end up with some uh, misunderstanding what James is trying to get across. All right, so, um, and so there's a little bit of controversy about the book of James. One of the things is also is that he never says the name, or he never talks about Jesus in it, except for right at the very first verse, he says that he's a servant of Jesus. Um, but he actually is talking about all of the teachings of Jesus right throughout. Um, so, so some commentators have described the book of James as a beautifully crafted punch in the gut. Some have described it as a practical guide to Christian life and conduct. Uh, some have referred to it as like the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Um, it's filled with the ethics of following Jesus. It's filled with figures and metaphors, and it compels us to think deeply about our actions uh, and, and that how our actions actually demonstrate what we truly believe. And, and he compels us to think deeply about how our actions are affecting those around us. And are they actually bringing the kingdom of heaven or are they actually working against the kingdom of heaven? And, and our actions are actually, um, uh, uh, the, everything that we do, we are, either, we are either moving and living and participating in the kingdom of heaven or we're, or we're not. And so, so James has really challenged us to think deeply about that. So it's, it's quite different from other books like Hebrews, which is, which is unpacking a lot of theology. James is really saying, this is what it looks like to outwork what you believe. This is what it looks like to outwork what you believe. Um, and so, so James is really calling followers of Jesus to live in accordance to their beliefs. I, I mean, if you could have a hashtag for the book of James, it would be faith looks like something. Faith looks like something. And so James is continually pulling on the wisdom of the teachings of Jesus, his brother. He's pulling from the book of Proverbs, um, and he's challenging us all to live a life fully devoted to God. I think one clear assumption that we can make when we, when we approach the book of James is that it is written to people who are already following Jesus. 
Right, so he, he's, he's talking about how do we participate and release the kingdom of heaven now. Um, he's giving us thoughts and reflections on the teachings of Jesus. Um, there's a lot of instruction in the book of James. All right, so you ready to dive in? Cool. All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of James. All right, so I'm going to start in, in verse 2 after his, his uh, intro. So verse 2, he starts with this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, he starts out with just like the crazy statement. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. And in some versions it might talk about um, that you may be perfected. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. Uh, um, but um, James is, is, is pulling from, James, uh, from Jesus' teaching here in, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. And he goes on to say, um, he goes on to say this in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, who knows that when we are going through trials, when we're going through the tough stuff of life, we need wisdom. We need wisdom. Now, last week I talked about wisdom, that, that wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. So, so it's one thing to know right from wrong, it's one thing to know good and evil, but how do we actually apply that knowledge? That's wisdom. And so when we come into trials, when we suffer persecution, when we're going through the tough stuff of life, knowing right or wrong, or knowing, you know, knowing just what's good and bad, or good and evil, that's one thing. But to actually know, how do I apply this? How do I actually walk through this with the wisdom of God? See, this is what James is saying. When you go through trials, count it all joy. You're going to grow. You're going to, uh, uh, perseverance is, growing, is going to grow in you. Patience is going to grow in you. And, and if you ask for wisdom, God will give it to you as you go through the trials. And he's, he goes on to say that he reminds us that God is a generous God who gives good and perfect gifts to his, to his children. 
And he says this phrase, I want to focus a little bit on this this morning. He says, but let him ask in faith without doubting. Let him ask in faith without doubting. So I want to have a look this morning a little bit, but what is faith? Faith is a massive theme through the book of James, so we're going to cover this a little bit over the few weeks. But, but what is faith and what is doubt? What is faith and what is doubt? I, I, I like to use a phrase just to shape people's categories a bit around what faith is, um, and it's this, that the opposite to faith is not doubt, but control. The opposite to faith is not doubt but control. I, I use this because it helps us to disconnect the idea of faith as some sort of mental ascent. Um, you know, that faith is, is a result of some sort of mental gymnastics. If I can just work up something on the inside of me and, and then I would have some faith. Um, you know, it, faith is not a feeling, faith is an action. So, so faith is not a feeling. Faith is something that transcends what I feel and says, despite what I feel right now, I trust in the person of Jesus. Yeah, that is what faith is. Faith is actually, the word is pistis, and, and one of the best uh, English words we can use for that is allegiance. It's allegiance to a person despite the circumstances. See, faith is a believing loyalty to a person that we know. Faith is the result of deeper intimacy. It has to do with the knowing and being known relationship with God, with a good Father who we know is for us and not against us. It's an action. It's allegiance to Jesus. It's a believing loyalty and trusting obedience. It looks like something. This is what James is really pressing into in this book. Faith looks like something. One of the thoughts that I've had over the last few weeks is that faith is when the realities of the kingdom of heaven become more real to me than the realities of this world. What's going on in heaven starts to become more real than what is happening in the here and now. You know, know, the Bible project often talks about the kingdom of heaven like this overlap. You know, we are growing in faith as that overlap becomes more and more real. So faith is not a mental ascent. It's, I'll give you an example. I went to Singapore when I was younger. Has anyone been to Singapore before? Like you, you step out of the air-conditioned airport and you walk into like this heat wave. Eh? It's like poof. I'd never experienced anything like it before. So much humidity and heat, and it was just like I walked into a brick wall of sticky heat, you know. And uh, and I was staying in the hotel, and in the morning I woke up and I looked out the window, and I, and my mind said it's cold outside, because it looked cold. You know, it was overcast. It was like if I was in New Zealand, I would look out and go, it's going to be a cold day. However, I knew that that wasn't true, and so I dressed appropriately, even though I was in an air-conditioned, cool hotel, I dressed appropriately, knowing in faith that when I walked out the doors, it was going to be hot. See, see faith is, is looking at, at, at what is happening in front of us and going, it doesn't look like what I expect, but I know because I know a person called Jesus that I need to dress differently for what I'm about to walk into. So, so faith is actually in the action of going, it's, it looks cold outside, but I know it's hot and I'm going to dress appropriately for that. See, see, faith is not a mental ascent, it's an action based on a person. 
It's taking actions from the place of rest, not because of your ability to conjure up something called faith, but because of the faithfulness of God. You don't create faith. You can't create faith. Maybe a better way to think about it is not that we have faith in God, but that, that, that we have God's faith. You know, that, that there's, this is, you know I, hope you're, I hope you're getting your head around that this is different than maybe what we have thought of as faith. You know, when someone says you're not healed because you didn't have enough faith. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. That's, that's not, no, no, let's not head down that track. So, so what is doubt? What is doubt? What, what is James talking about here? Uh, um, so, so just like faith is not a feeling, doubt is also not a feeling. You might have feelings of doubt, but, but the doubt that James is talking about is not a feeling. So what is this doubt? That the actual word means to judge. Yeah. The, if you look it up in the Greek lexicon, the word that James is using here for doubt in the Greek actually means to judge. All right, so, so it's not a feeling. To judge is an action, yeah? So I might have a feeling of doubt, but then I, and then I take that feeling of doubt and t- turn it into an action and make a judgment against God and about His wisdom that I've just asked Him for, and now I have, now I have worked against faith. So doubt is actually an action here, just like faith is an action. Faith is not something you create. Faith is a result of a relationship. And I would like to suggest that doubt is the result of a relationship too. So we just did a whole series on disrupting the systems of the world that want to distract us, disorientate us, and ultimately disconnect us from Jesus. Come on, doubt, doubt is a result of a relationship with the systems of the world. We have become more attuned to trusting them than we have to trusting Jesus. When I am feeling lonely, we turn to the systems of the world to try and fill the needs that we have in our heart instead of turning to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who is the source of our life. But doubt would say, I don't trust Jesus. I'm going to make a judgment about whether God is actually good and I'm going to turn and take an action towards actually trying to get life from a different source. So doubt is the product of a relationship with the world. You know, when Ali and I, um, when we first lost our, our first baby, Malachi, that was, without a doubt, the toughest time in my life. And... Um, bringing our beautiful baby home and um, burying him with my family. That's, that's the tough stuff of life here. Did I have feelings of doubt? You betcha. Is this what James is talking about? No. Did I let my feelings of doubt become judgments about God? No, I refuse to let that happen. Why? Because I know God. I've walked far too long with him to now try and turn this on him. I'm not gonna make a judgment about God in this season. I've got feelings of doubt. I've got questions. You better believe. 
But faith says, my God is for me and he's not against me. Faith says in this season, like he's what I need. In this trial, come on, it it produces patience, it produces endurance, it's producing character. I'm growing and I'm maturing. Like I didn't, that wasn't like what I was excited about at the time. You know, looking back, but man, faith and doubt. Let's get our head around these properly. So the context here is wisdom for the trial. Yeah, the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Come on, somebody. When we live without a conviction, we live conflicted. So the context here is wisdom for the trial. This has to do with asking God for wisdom and guidance in an uncertain path. I have doubts about where I'm heading, but I will not judge God's guidance. I don't trust where I'm walking, but I trust the one leading. I have doubts about my ability to get through this, but I don't doubt the one who's holding me. Believing loyalty would be to say, okay, God, I don't see the outcome, but I still trust you. I have doubts about the outcome. I have all sorts of feelings of doubts, but I trust you. Consider this for a moment. To doubt would be to seek a second opinion. Have you ever uh, met someone who, um, when they're trying to make a decision about something, they'll go and talk to everyone until they find the person who agrees with what they want? Yeah? That, that's someone who is double-minded. They're just trying to find the person who agree, that's trust in self. As someone who, who uh, has the wonderful opportunity to be a mentor and a coach to, to people and, and disciple people, there is nothing more frustrating than when you are doing a journey with someone and it comes to a tough situation and, and, and they go away, you know, you're offering advice, you're saying, hey, I, I think this is, this is wisdom in this situation. And then they go away and try and talk to a whole lot of other people till they find the person that agrees with what they want to do. For me, it's, it, 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 you know, as someone who genuinely cares about someone, I've been walking with someone because I care about them, and then for them to go, actually, I, I don't trust that you care for me enough to give me the right advice. Uh, you know, that, that's, what, that's what the Father is saying. Hey, do you trust me? I, I care about you. I believe the best in you, and I want to give you the best wisdom. Will you trust the guidance that I give you? And so when it comes to, you know, you look through the, um, the Sermon on the Mount and, and you're looking at all these things where Jesus is saying things like, blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah? You know, and the, all the times when we, we want to demand our rights and we've been right is more important than anything else. And Jesus is going, no, just be a peacemaker. That, you know, Jesus, the, the whole example of Jesus is this, that, that we win by dying. That we win by losing. This is how the kingdom operates. But who knows that, that we, we don't like that in our human nature. But, but thank goodness that our human nature died on the cross. Yeah? And we've been resurrected a new creation. Now we can walk with Jesus and trust his advice, his ways, his wills. And this is what it means to 
not down. We're doing okay? <laughs> All right, um, we're not getting far. C.S. Lewis, I got one quote from C.S. Lewis this, this week. He said this, To trust him means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Yeah? There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But trying a new way, I love this, but trying a new way, a less worried way, not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not hoping to get to heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. Yeah? Come on. See, I think that James is really making us answer a much deeper question here. And I think it's a question that's really relevant for us in the West, um, especially maybe, you know, we've just we've done a whole lot of series about what is the gospel and trying to disconnect us from the idea that the gospel is just about a message about how to get to heaven when you die, but it's a bit message about heaven that's come here. And, and, and so, you know, one of the questions I think, one of the concerns that I have when we reduce the gospel to how do we get to heaven when we die is this, is that we actually reduce Jesus to the price, a means to an end. Jesus dying on the cross, it was just a means to the end, and that means being me going to heaven. No, 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 no. Jesus is the prize. He's not just the price. He is the prize. Like we actually get to participate in his life today, in the here and now. And I think the question that James is maybe pressing on us here is, is, are you just following Jesus because he's the price, or do you actually see him as the prize? Like that his life is the prize. Is this just about a ticket to heaven, or do you genuinely believe that the way of Jesus is the most life-giving way to live, think, and act in our world? So when I think about all that, and, and, and you know, sometimes maybe people question, you know, oh, well, your, your God's not even real, you know, and I'm just going, actually, I would be ra- I'd rather be wrong about Jesus than right about anything else. Yeah? Come on, I'd rather be wrong about Jesus than right about anything else, because what I have found when I have given my life to the teachings of Jesus, that my life has become more whole. Come on, as I follow Jesus, my fractured and broken person is starting to be put back together and I'm becoming more and more whole. And, and if God isn't even real, then I've discovered something that's worth doing anyway. Do you know what I mean? But, but who knows that he is, he's real, he's alive, and he's living on the inside of all of you. And he is here now in the here and now. Come on. This is not just about what happens when you die. Come on, and James is really pressing into that and saying, come on, are you going to follow him? Give your life to him, it's worth it. 
Yeah. All right. We're going to skip, skip a little bit. You can read it. It's really good. In James, 19, uh, James 1 verse 19, he, he talks about listening and doing. Listening and doing. And he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. A little wee good one-liner there for you to remember, eh? <laughs> quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Another version says, lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger straggle along in the rear. <laughs> humbly accept the word that has been planted in you. Come on, has it been planted in you? Humbly accept, receive the word that has been planted in you, which can save you. The word there is sodzo, which means to redeem, to rescue, to make whole, to put together, to make complete. And he goes on to say this, but don't just listen to God's word, but you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away, forgetting what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So James is talking about the perfect law. What is the perfect law? The perfect law. Torah, the, the perfect law is, is Jesus. The, the perfect law is, is love for God and love for others. That, that is the law perfected. And, and see, Jesus is, is the fulfillment and the full demonstration of the perfection of God. He's the restoration and demonstration of humanity in perfection. And, and Paul says that, that Jesus is the first in line of a restored humanity. See, the word perfection, this word perfection is a theme all throughout James, and the word perfection is not speaking about behavior. All right, so, so don't read that and read into it. I, I have to have perfect behavior, like read the Bible, okay, and then go do it perfectly, otherwise God's not happy with me. Don't read that over top of it. This is not what James is saying. He's actually talking about what are you staring into? Has the word been planted in you? the life of Jesus. See, this word perfection um, is not speaking about behavior. It's actually closer to the word integrity, which is this idea that I don't have two separate parts. I'm not a fractured nature. It's speaking about our union with Christ. So integrity means this, the state of being complete and unified. Right, the state of being complete and unified. It's not so much about what we do, but about who we are. And who we are determines in turn of what we do. Our behavior is always the echo of our identity. And so if we see ourselves as fractured people, we will live fractured, double-minded, swayed by the wind lives. 
Our identity is made up of three components, the mind, the heart, and revelation. The, the mind represents all of the thinking that a person has processed. The heart represents all of the experiences that a person has had. And revelation is the place where the heart and mind have come into agreement to form a foundational belief system. All right, That's what our identity, and our identity flows out of a person's revelation of who am I. But identity always becomes before actions. We do because of who we are. So put it, put it like this, I am righteous in Christ, therefore I live righteously. Identity always precedes actions. And we step into the integrity of our identity in Christ when our confession becomes our conviction. We don't live with a conviction about who we are in Christ, we live conflicted. And James is saying this, when we steer into perfection, the image of complete oneness and union in God and then act in faith and allegiance to what we have heard, to what we have seen, to what we have felt, then we live in the blessing of God. You see, when we look into perfection, imagine you know, we look and steer and meditate on and focus on perfection, but don't do what it says. One version says that we believe a lie of self-deception. This is not about perfect behavior, but about completeness, about wholeness, the integrity of our identity, the, the reforming and restoring of a fractured image. So when we stare into perfection, it's like looking in a mirror, expecting to see our broken humanity looking back at us, but we see our restored humanity in Jesus. And the question is, what are you staring at? Are you steering into perfection? As we steer into his word with the goal of union, we find perfection steering back at us, inviting us into the place of completeness, inviting us into the place of wholeness, inviting us into the place of complete integrity of our spirit man with him. Now our actions are starting to line up with our beliefs. Um, music team can come back, that'd be, that'd be great. Thanks, team. So James is encouraging us to step out of our old life, our old identity the wills and ways of the world. And he's inviting us to step into our restored humanity in Jesus. You know, as we put off the old man and step into the new, we step into union with him. And, and listen, we are not two natures at war within us. I really, want, I really want us to get a handle on that. We are not a fractured person. We are not a fractured nature. If you, if, you have, if you have stepped into the kingdom of heaven, gone through the waters of baptism, you know, that is the picture of the death of our old man and the stepping into our new identity, our new creation, our new nature in Jesus. Those things are not at war anymore. 
We are not a fractured nature. You are complete. You are made whole. And you might be saying, Michael, I feel like it. Let me, give, let me give you this thought. Our old nature is dead, and everything associated with it. But sometimes we go back and we try and resurrect it. You know what I mean? Like we get out, what are those things that they rub together and put on? You know, we try and resuscitate our old man, try and bring it back to life, hoping that it's going to give us some life. Yeah? But it can't. Something dead can only take life. Yeah, it only lives when we give life to it. So let me put it like this. All of the things of the world demand life from you. So when we participate in them, hoping that we are going to receive something from them, who knows that we end up feeling more drained, more spent, more, more broken, more hopeless, because what is it doing? It is taking life from us, because it doesn't have any life of its own anymore. It's dead. It's what Jesus did on the cross. But as we look to Jesus and we steer into perfection and we trust that he is the source of life, even when maybe it doesn't feel good to actually, you know, who knows that watching Netflix all night, binge watching it, kind of feels good for like the first half an hour. We wake up in the morning feeling rotten, you know, like, like it, it, I'm not saying Netflix is the devil, but all I'm saying is if we're doing that because we are trying to get something from it, it actually inevitably deceives us and takes something from us. We turn to Jesus and we trust that His guidance, that He is true, that He is truth, and we actually start to receive life from Him. This is trying to take life. Jesus is the source of life. James finishes the chapter with this. He says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It boils it down to a pretty simple, pretty simple actions. Focus on Jesus. Don't be polluted. Look after those in need around you. Yeah? We're going to share around communion, but I, I want to just um, let you know about a couple of things that are, that are coming up for us uh, that are putting these things in action. Um, we have our serve day again coming up, 28th of November. Every year we go into Maribank School and serve them for the day. And so that's coming up on the 28th of November, a great opportunity to put our faith in action. Um, another thing that is coming up for us is um, we've been exploring an opportunity to be part of uh, an initiative called Tihahi. Um, tihahi Rotu Timahi, the church in action. Um, and what Tihahi is, is, is a partnership with the police where a number of churches in a community get together, forget about names, forget about what church you're from. This is just the church, Tihahi. And um, after family harm events, when 
there's a low risk event, maybe the perpetrator has been whisked away, the church called in to care for, to love on, to provide support for the family in need. Um, and so this is something that uh, we're going to be a part of in our community and inviting you to be a part of that. Um, I put my hand up actually to be um, the champion for it in Upper Hutt. So, and I really feel like it's something significant for our community. Put some hands and feet uh, to this message of faith. And um, I think it's going to be a great, a great opportunity. So we'll be sharing more about that over the coming weeks. Um, but this is it. To look after the orphans and the widows in distress. step away from the world. Who knows that when we go into these situations we need something to offer them that's more than just food. We need to take Jesus with us. And I don't know about you, but the less I'm over in this space, the more Jesus I've got to give, you know. So that's what James is trying to get us to get our head around. Why don't you stand this morning? We're going to share around communion. We're going to respond whatever way you want to. But I want to encourage you with this thought this morning. Uh, as I was reading James, as I was just meditating on it during the week, and for, for me, this is all about union. Like just letting go of the old and stepping into the new, that, that I could be so one with Jesus, so one with Christ that that, that there's no separation, there, there's no lack of integrity about who I am and, and my actions that follow. This is about union with Christ. And, and I want to encourage you, church, this is not some like abstract idea. Like union with Christ is not, is, uh, who knows that, that when, when we are with Him, you know, when, when we finally end this life and we, we are with Him, we'll be com- complete. There will be a, a total, complete union with Christ. Like, I, I just like to think, like, you will be absorbed into Him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when you take Play-Doh, two different colors, and you just mash it all together, like, you'll be in complete union with Him back home. But friends, that is, that is not just a distant hope, but it is also a reality for you here in the here and now. This union with Him. And for me, this is what James is really getting at, this union. In Galatians 2, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself up for me. So when we come around communion, we're talking about our common union. This is all of us together. This is our common union with Christ, that we are one in Him, and we are also one together because we are one in Him. This is our common union. This is not an abstract idea. This is, I mean, I mean the, some of the writers, are the, certainly the early church fathers, talked about the mystical union. Like this is a spiritual reality. This is not not just an idea to think about and go, oh, that's a cool idea, and I hope that'll happen when I when I die. No, 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 no. Like, this is not an arranged marriage. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to turn up on the on the, you know the day that you pass from this life and go, oh Jesus, 
I didn't really know what you were like. Like this is not an arranged marriage. This is union today. You get to know Jesus today and be with Him today. And you get to look into His face today. And you get to steer into perfection today. And as you do, you look and think you're going to see your fractured humanity looking back at you, but you are not. You are going to see your redeemed humanity looking back at you. Come on, He is the image. (laughs) The image of God. He is the first in line of a redeemed humanity. He came into humanity, not to scorn it or ridicule it or condemn it, but to redeem humanity. And we get to participate in that because of Him. Come on, this is what communion is about. So this morning as we gather around communion, I I want to encourage you just to reframe your thinking a little bit. Don't come and just say, Jesus, I thank you that that you died on the cross for me. No, no, come and say, Jesus, I thank you for union. Just stop. Just stop. You can say, I receive your word this morning. Would you plant it in my heart that I am no longer separated? I am no longer fractured. I have integrity of identity. I am whole. I am made complete. I'm not different tomorrow. I'm not different somewhere else. I'm the same person in you every day. I invite you into that this morning. Let's take some time. Let's not rush this. We're going to sing. We're going to worship, and we're going to set our hearts towards Him. And we're just going to we're just going to be with Him. Is that okay? Like, who would have thought coming to church to be with Jesus? That's what we're going to do. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are so good. Beyond our imagination, good. And so generous. So generous. You're so trustworthy. You're faithful and you're true. You're, You're majestic and marvelous. We thank you for who you are thank you that you are here now. You're not distant. You're not afar off looking at us saying, hey, you need to come up. No, Father, you are the one who came into our brokenness. We thank you, Jesus, that you did that. You literally came into our broken humanity and redeemed it and restored it. We thank you for union with you, Jesus. We thank you that there's not an abstract idea, but we actually get to experience and participate in this union. We thank you that communion is a reminder of that. 